Hey everyone, this is Brenda Hernandez Jaimes, the podcast producer of the Tom Ferry Podcast Experience. And we just wanted to let you know that today's episode with Tom Billy and Tom is amazing. We highly recommend you listen to it four to five times because it was that great. A little um, warning though, you know how Tom and Tom Billy are so passionate about mindset and growing in your business that they dropped a couple of F-bombs, but if you're offended by that, we truly apologize, but we still recommend you listen to it. Take some notes because this was an amazing episode. So without further ado, let's start the show. So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all wanna create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we wanna do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today's guest, Tom Bilyeu, uh, co-founder of Quest Nutrition, uh, launched during his time there an extraordinary YouTube channel where I got exposed to people like David Goggins, big shout out to David, uh, and transitioned that into this company called Impact Theory. Um, Impact Theory, if you haven't checked it out, you should go to it today. Uh, he continues to put out extraordinary interviews, lots of content. Uh, it's not just that we both have the same perfect name. It's we both believe you can help a lot of people through video, through podcasts, through Instagram to help people find their path, find their truth, stay in the growth mindset and ultimately achieve the kind of greatness from, you know, you're a podcast listener. You know what I'm talking about? Not being in dis-ease, not being in wellness, but actually achieving a level of greatness and everything that I've studied with Tom, watching his work, listening to his content, sharing the stage with him twice um, he is all about that. So this is the second time we've done a podcast together. You're going to get a ton of value out of this. If you're not following him on Instagram, absolutely do so. If you're one of my elite clients, you remember a couple of years ago when I think he did a 90 minute talk and then answered questions for about seven hours straight. And I think that may have been one of the last times he did that. Cause I think his doctor recommended he's talking too much and he needed to actually stop. Right. But uh, so I am just, I'm super stoked. He actually was at last year's summit. If you were there, you know, because the theme was all in. And when I, when I called Tom and said, the theme is all in, he was like, holy shit. Like I'm all about that. And the talk was not only passionate, it was tactical. It was full of so many ideas that it was the ultimate sort of crescendo cherry on top of an extraordinary four day conference. So if you don't know him, I think you get the truth bumps that I have right now and on my arm as I'm about to start this interview. The guy is obsessed with learning, obsessed with being in the growth mindset, and today he's going to help you do the same. So, Tom, man, welcome, bro, to the show. Super good to see you again. So, welcome, welcome. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Definitely good to see you as always. Yes. So, you know, I wrote down a bunch of things that I wanted to explore with you, and I think What's fun is I know with you, kind of like with other people that I've interviewed and I, I pride myself on the same, we can go in a million different directions. So I want to start first with, dude, what did you think about the Joe, uh, Joe Rogan podcast deal with Spotify? I think it's amazing. Um, I am insanely jealous in the best way possible. I mean, that guy is yes. just killing it. He's tearing it up. Uh, so I'm, I'm way impressed and it's so cool to see this medium become that powerful and important. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think it really happened to the right person. I think he is truly extraordinary. And when I think about 
look, I, I always want to be number one. So when, yeah. when you look at the space that we're in and you say, who is number one? I think it, if you're being honest, the answer is Joe Rogan. Yes. So it's like he, you know, if, I am not a fighter, but if I put it in MMA terms, it's like he, he's the heavyweight champ. You know what I mean? So if you want yeah. to be the heavyweight champ, then you got to go, you got to go for that crown. So uh, it's, I'm super inspired. I love to see good things happen to people doing rad shit. Like he's gotten amazing. And because yes. he's gotten amazing, amazing things have happened for him. So um, I'm super stoked. I think he's playing the game extraordinarily well. I think he brings just a ton of value um, and is now, you know, I, I mean, I think he's been monetizing it for a very, very, very long time. Yes. Yes. But to see like this kind of, kind of win is, is exciting for everybody playing in the game. Um, and if you can, really you know the game recognized games they say like yeah. he's just so good dude so yes. yeah i'm stoked for him yeah so it's funny i was uh i had gary v on the podcast recently and he's uh speaking this with me this year at the summit we were chatting about it and he was like of course this happened of course this happened right but i want to ask you because you put out a lot of content you are a brilliant educator on so many levels i didn't you know i didn't even really even get a touch on your mission which i think you should share with, about Really, like you're all about the hero's journey, creating content that gets people to recognize it doesn't matter where they are, they can go to the next level. When you think about what Rogan has done and you think about how many people are now, you know, doing podcasts or doing content, like I, I keep this in front of me. I don't know if you can see this old little video. This is, this is me in 2007 when I launched my YouTube channel, right? So I, this is a constant reminder of everything takes time. When you look at Joe's work, what do you think are some of the, the models or, or tactics that you could sort of witness and see, hey, this is what he did. Because a lot of my viewers are doing their own YouTube show, they're doing it on Instagram, they're doing podcasts now. So what do you think are some of the lessons if somebody wants to build a sort of a platform the way Joe did? Well, if you wanna do it specifically the way that Joe did, the key thing to recognize is that he makes something that is obscenely difficult look easy. And to yes. really define that, I'll say, he makes the conversation seem completely unstructured and um, very conversational and you never know where you're gonna go. And yeah. that's actually really, really hard to pull off. And it's hard to pull off for a couple of reasons. One, you have to be extraordinarily well-read. You have to be responding to, or well-watched, I guess, these days. It doesn't have yeah. to be a book, it can be YouTube. Yeah. But you have to be up on just a lot of shit so that you can go wherever things go. And also one thing that I find extraordinarily interesting about him is he, he has made it a stated thing, and this is from his mouth. Um, that he wants to be open-minded. Like he wants to understand yes. where people are coming from. And so he is at the same time though, when you come up against something that where he feels like, okay, I now understand what you're saying, but I disagree. He is unflinching in pushing back on that. And he will escalate sometimes to where it's like, yo, I, I no longer know that I think this is the right approach, but it is, it's his ability to go there to go the spectrum of I'm open-minded and now I'm going to battle for my position and that he can sort of be anywhere on that spectrum. It's what one of my teammates called um, the chaos factor. So there's a high degree of chaos factor, which if you want to build something as big as what he's done, you have to embrace the chaos factor. Now it's something that I avoided for a very long time. I how did a highly curated show. How do you define that? How do you define the chaos factor? It's, the audience does not know what they're going to get. Is this going to be Joe agreeing with somebody, Joe fighting with somebody? Are we mm -hmm. going to be talking about strippers giving blowjobs? Is this going to be talking about, you know, the state of politics? You, he can go fucking anywhere. Anywhere. Because yeah. he, he is 
really, really, um, A, he's smart. And I try never to give a lot of credit to being smart because there's a lot of smart people that don't do anything. Mm -hmm. But he's smart and he fills his mind with information. He truly seems, I mean, I don't know him. I've met him when I was on the show, but I don't know him well. So none of this should be taken as like, oh, I know what Joe thinks. But from the outside, just looking at the way he moves and as a student of the game, watching, you know, if if you identify somebody as the best in the game, if you're not studying the tape, you know, you're you're making a mistake. And quite frankly, some of it is just really, really fucking entertaining. So, you know, I'm watching it on a whole bunch of levels, but so you've got the chaos factor where he can go anywhere. You never know where he's going to go. He isn't um, shy to talk to somebody he disagrees with. He's not afraid to argue with somebody that he disagrees with after listening. So it's like you as the viewer have a lot of respect for the way that he's playing it because chances are that first he listened and then he like presented his own case. And so you you may want to dismiss him out of hand as so many people do. He's so fucking hard to put in a box. He's considerate but can be aggressive so it's this yeah all those things are, are what i'll call the chaos factor yeah. and then um on top of that he's funny and so being funny allows him to get away with a lot of things that you might not otherwise be able to get away with we also i think all admire his courage he grabs a hold of the third rail very frequently he touches on topics that you would think would get him canceled but yeah you know he's he's gotten so much momentum now behind him that he's he's uncancelable i mean that's yep. why people watch him is for yep. him being him yes. um and and that really is a tip of the iceberg if you know if I sat down for you know ten or fifteen minutes and just sort of really um inked out what I think he's doing that's working, it would be that but the more I try to adopt a conversational style in my own interviews, the more I realize it's really fucking hard because there there's a the guest has to be complicit right meaning right if if the guest has watched my previous interviews and they're expecting me to, you know, ask them sort of to have essentially memorized their book or whatever it is that they've come on to promote and to ask them the greatest possible questions that could be asked yeah. of that person. And that's what I became known for. And that's how we blew up. And then I started changing my style because I realized, okay, we've, we've sort of peaked out. Right. And when I look at the growth rate, like we, we raced to a million and yeah. we fucking crawled to 1.6. And so I'm like, all right, th- there's a, a natural level um, or, or ceiling to me as a human being doing interviews in this niche, right? Which was, for me, it was all about mindset. It was the only thing I ever wanted to talk about. And it got to the point where I was bored because I was so immersed in that world and I knew their answers. I had memorized their fucking book. So not only did I sort of know mindset in general at a level that was insanely deep, but I knew that person's mindset at an insanely deep level. So there was no legitimate sense of discovery. And that's where it started to make me ask, okay, how do I get back some, you know, sense of discovery in this process? And I realized, okay, I need to um, really loosen up be more conversational and study the topic and not the person. But now that means the guest is coming in. They may have an expectation based on what they've seen me do in the past. I'm not doing that with them. And so they're kind of caught off guard. They're, they're giving me these sort of um, what I call their loop. So like a stump speech for a politician, there's just certain fucking things they're going to say no matter what I ask. Exactly. And that gets really old, really fast, which is why the audience raced to a certain point. So you've got people that are diehard about what I call spiritual entertainment. And then it slowed down because there's only so many people that are into spiritual entertainment. You're not going outside that bubble. You're not getting into conversational stuff. There's no chaos factor. And so it just really started to stall out. And so now as I evolve, I'm finding I'm, I'm battling the um, YouTube algorithm, right? Which wants me to be who I was 
and isn't interested in, in seeing me evolve. So it's only rewarding me based on whether the people that already follow me like what I'm doing, but I'm intentionally trying to change what I'm doing. Um, and then I'm up against the guests who come in expecting, you know, the way that I was interviewing two years ago and uh, aren't yet as at ease with the conversational style. So I've had to create a whole new show called Conversations with Tom. So yeah. people and the audience understand coming into it, this is gonna be a fucking conversation. This is not pedagogical. Yeah. It is not yeah. set them up, knock them down. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm looking at my podcast producer, Brenda, and Tristan over here, who, you know, both, Brenda's got a podcast, Tristan's got a podcast, they both have YouTube channels. There was so much to unpack in that conversation. Um, oh, dude, that, that's the tip. We, like, I, I know. If, if this, you wanted to go even deeper, trust me, there's a lot more there. So, so talk to me about, it's interesting, like, I think for a lot of the listeners right now, in, in the residential real estate space, the mortgage space, you know, the place where we are most dominant, and, and we have listeners that are all over the map, but you know, so many of my customers fall in that world that you've spoken to now twice. Every one of them is struggling as the world gets faster and easier and more competitive on this little thing we call an iPhone or a phone is creating a brand, right? Creating a brand. So one of the things I actually wrote down is like, I just, you have created now multiple brands, Quest, Impact Theory, you know, conversations with Tom and how hard that is to start over from one brand to another brand. I want to know from you, like, what are some of the things you learned along the way for, for my listeners if they really want to become that recognizable person? Like, you know it and I know it. You can walk through an airport anywhere. You walk through a restaurant and someone's going to walk up and go, hey, man, I watch your show, right? You get that. I get that. We earn that over time, but there's gotta be a, a leapfrog, a faster way to get there. That's what people are looking for. What do you recommend? Stop looking for the leapfrog. Here, here's the thing, and this is becoming, like you wanna talk Say, about oh, something. That's, but that's it. Say it again, stop what? Stop looking for the leapfrog. It, this, is, this is a game of get fucking good, like get really good. And, <laughs> yes. and Tom, now, yes. now we're, I'm gonna go sit on the third rail for a minute. So yeah. Never, ever, ever in my life did I ever think for one second that yeah. the phrase pull yourself up by your bootstraps would become controversial. And that is like the most controversial shit now ever. And right. I was like, wait, what? Like it so right. caught me off guard. I was like, right. I don't understand. You're, you're actually saying that self-improvement is, is a defunct avenue. Like that is to deny what I call the physics of being human. They're, yeah. they're just is is a reality to be faced about the way that the human animal has become constructed over millions of years of evolution there just is like yeah. the brain operates in a certain way and every species species has to make a choice whether you go down the path of pre-programming everything think about a horse right yeah 20 minutes after it's born it's up and walking and running and doing all the things that a horse will do now the other option is to use culture to allow knowledge to stack and allow a, a human to adapt very quickly to an incredibly novel environment. Yeah. And that's the, the decision that our species took. So the human animal is the ultimate adaptation machine. We don't have as much stuff pre-programmed for years and years and years. We cannot protect ourselves. We can't hold our own head up. We can't walk. Like you are literally feeding at the breast of another human. Like you, yes. you, or you're you die. so right or you die and this goes on for a long fucking time so we are unique in the animal kingdom like that we traded a lot of strength and and pre-programming to have this big fucking brain that can think through really complicated problems and can adapt and be changed and now people are saying that 
don't take advantage of that, that that's all bullshit. And it's like, whoa, as somebody who has dedicated my life to saying, hey, there are people who are behind the fucking eight ball and I'm gonna, I am yeah. literally going to give my life over to helping them. But the only, the only thing that I will say I am, I am just dogmatic about, I will only do what works. I will only tell people what actually fucking works. Right. And, not, and that doesn't always mean shit that sounds kind. It's like sometimes it's just the thing that actually fucking works is be hardcore, be disciplined, try harder, get be better. obsessed, getting punched in the face, Dude, moving forward, fucking having works. fear and going after it anyway. Okay, uh, we're talking branding, but we're not. There is a lot of soft people on our planet right now. How, like, how do we help? Like, and I'm not like, I mean, listen, I, I have a 19 and a 21 year old son, right? So, so they're, they're kind of my Petri dish for the future. And I'm constantly experimenting with them on how far can I push them, right? Before they, uh, right? And now, now at their age, now they're pushing themselves. But I have been telling them since they were two and four years old, the world is full of soft people. The world is full of people. They're going to smoke weed, screw around, never take themselves seriously. Most people don't figure it out until they're 30. They're two and four, bro. And I'm telling them this stuff, right? Four and six, eight and 12. By the time, by the time they're sitting with their, their cousins and I'm saying, what do you want to do when you grow up? They're like, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to become a billionaire because I'm going to serve more people than anybody else. Like 12 year olds shouldn't talk like that, but I've been conditioning them because I kept seeing how soft people are. How, how small the competition really is. How do we help them get tougher? How do we help them become aware that they're soft? Well, okay, so different questions there. So yeah. how do we yeah. help them become aware? The most fascinating book that I've read in a long time on that subject is a book called The Coddling of the American Mind um, mm. by Stephen Haidt. I forget the co-author's name, forgive me, forgive me. There's two of them, I think, two of them that wrote it. Um, and he, he makes a case with so much compassion and love in his heart for the people who've been set up to have a, a um, what I'll call a less useful mentality. Yeah. Um, what, what certainly um, looks soft from the outside, but to not, not put any judgment on it. Um, to me, things either move you towards your goals or they move you away from your goals. And yep. to not be anti-fragile will move you away from your goals, just period. It, it goes back to the physics of being human. Yeah. So, um, and he breaks down in the book why it's happening and um, why it creates this um, mentality that isn't going to serve you and gives some hints at what he thinks might be the way out of it. Um, mm -hmm. But the, the reality is it comes down to something very akin to what you're talking about, which is you have to give people um, what I'll call a growth mindset. So yeah. um, that's why, you know, when I talk about only doing what works, the thing that I became obsessed with, and this, this, this comes from a place of all of us have developed a set of skills and we've developed that set of skills partly just out of interest. We're drawn to that thing. Yeah. And then after a certain amount of time, you just have a lot invested in that. So I'm not necessarily saying the approach I'm taking is the only approach, may not even be the best approach, but given my passions and my skill set, it is by far the most powerful thing that I can possibly imagine doing. And I've spent a lot of time trying to imagine something different. And that is to through narrative, because it hits people at an emotional level, yep. to make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. So my hope is that the way that you make whoa, them whoa, aware- say that, whoa, 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 say that again. So my mission in life, the, my animus, the thing that animates me is yeah. to make sure that nobody reaches the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. So I essentially create I, I always hesitate to call it children's entertainment because I'm focused on what's called the age of imprint, 
which yeah. is 11 to 15. And most people here, they're thinking little kids. Yeah. Um, but in, in the period from 11 to 15, we, we develop a lot of what we think is cool or who we want to be or even sexual fetishes are, are developed in that time. And some really weird shit happens like in that period. And it, yeah. it, it is, it's a much larger window, but you'll get the idea if you think about how ducks bond to their mother. It's not actually their mother. It is the first thing they see moving. That could be yeah. a weed whacker. So when they're born, whatever they see moving, they develop an attachment to. It could be a human. It could be a weed whacker, literally. Yeah. And um, then they'll follow it around dutifully. And so we have this window in that 11 to 15 year range where the people around us, our parents, our friends, the culture at large, the music we listen to, the movies, yeah. all that, they begin to develop the things we think are cool, are meaningful, and that's going to carry through the rest of your life. That's why the music that you grew up with is always going to hit you more deeply emotionally than music later in life. And, and I have always forced myself to constantly fall in love with new music. So I listen to contemporary music and I love it. But if you put me in an fMRI and you play music from the time when I was a kid, it just hits me a little bit harder, yep. deeper. And, um, that, that's, that window is super, super powerful. So when I think about how you make people aware of values that are going to serve them, I think about introducing it in that window very specifically and then giving it to them emotionally and not just, um, you know, uh, super logically like we're doing now. Yeah, I think the you're so right on. Like the left brain is so validating and it's, it's you know, it's ABC, one, two, three, it's math, right? You got to tell stories that, that hook them in the heart that get them to see what's possible. The thing that I keep going back to is, is just having people become aware that what they're doing isn't working, right? Like I told you about the, the fourth book I'm writing, like plays at work and, and the working sort of subtitle was like, stop doing dumb shit. And I've been saying that for a couple of years to people and people laugh, right? They're in the audience, they're like, ah. And then I go, no, 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 I'm like really fucking serious. Like stop doing dumb shit. Like look at your life and ask yourself, where do I have dis-ease, where do I have wellness, and where do I have greatness? And all you're going to see is the plays, the routines, the habits, the things that you decided to do. And like most of the people listening right now are not 11 to 15, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe there's one or two if you're out there. I love you. Good job. But they're like 30, 40, 50, 60. One of my clients is 82. And, and, and Tom, she saw you at the Elite in Palm Desert. And then she saw you again uh, last year you know, at the Summit. And this is a woman at 82 has a growth mindset, has always had a growth mindset, but she says she didn't get it until she was in her thirties. When she said, she goes, I was in a job that pissed me off, that it didn't matter how much I excelled, no one rewarded me, I didn't get a move up, other people did, and she's like, screw this, I'm gonna go do my own thing, and went into real estate, right? Do they need to have that painful moment to get that self-discovery? Can they get it through a story or do we need to have it ourselves? Yeah. No, I mean, look, it, there, there are a myriad of things that work. Pain works extraordinarily well. Yeah. It's part of the reason that pain exists is it yeah. activates areas of the brain that have to do with focus and memory. Yeah. So you're going to really look at that thing and you're going to remember it for a long time. So, um, you know, people talk about rock bottom. There is a reason that tremendous change often is an echo of tremendous pain. Um, it isn't the only way that it happens. And it sounds like she falls into the 2%, right? So there's 2% yeah. of the world that can essentially pull themselves out of the matrix. Yeah. And when I was at Quest and I was trying, like my life was changing so much because it was the first time where I really got to put to use all of the things that I had learned sort of coming up in my business career. And I was like, fuck, this is actually working. And it's you know generating this tremendous wealth. And so I want to 
communicate these ideas to other people and let them know like, hey, you can do this too. And 2% of the people were changed forever and it was extraordinary to watch. And 98% were on a scale of just disinterested to like, they really seemed to want to, but they just, they couldn't keep the energy up. Yeah. And so I thought, yo, like this is gnarly. I'm as a guy who's obsessed with scale, I'm just not very interested in the 2%. Yeah. So the, when you're, when you think about the 2%, you do what you've done or what I've done, which is you create a channel or something that filters. And so now it's the vast majority of the people that are following you and interacting with you are of that 2%. So it gives you this sense of, oh my God, like there's so many people that are like this. Um, but then when I step back and I really look at, you know, the world at large, uh, I just started asking the question, how do I reach that 98%? So I, I dedicate a lot of time to the 2% because I love them. It's so rewarding. It's so neat to see people put this stuff into use. Yeah. Um, but they're not the people you have to convince, right? They're already thirsty. So you don't have to lead them to water. They will find it. They will drink. Um, yeah. So when I think about how do I reach the people, and in my own words, I think of how do I reach the person who's actively antagonistic to change? And yeah. when I think about that person, because I figure if, if the, the approach that I use works even on that person, it's going to catch everybody else almost by accident. And so I just come down to emotion. If you can hit people with narrative, and I mean, look, we're seeing narrative play out in the grander society right now. And you see it's, it's tremendous. When you can get people to lock on to a common narrative um, that gets them to take action, it, it can be really potent. Um, it can be aimed at something good or it can be aimed at something bad, but it is incredibly powerful. And so I want to leverage that same um, potency of narrative to get people on a narrative train that helps them and helps society. Yeah. I want to go like 700 directions and just cancel the entire afternoon. Uh, but your meetings and my next podcast would be disappointed. I want to go back to branding. So, so earlier you said, and, and the way I interpreted it was, I did one thing extraordinarily well and it grew my channel from zero to a million. So whenever if you're listening to this, you know, we talk about a thousand true fans, right? Or we talk about, you know, in this case, a million people saying, I'm going to hit the subscribe button and I'm going to listen to this content. I like this woman. I like this gal. I like what they're about, right? The whole, your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Do you think that's the model? Like just do one thing exceptionally well. Right. And that's going to scale you to, you know, from A to B or maybe in your case, you know, A to a million. But then you got to pivot to go beyond that. Do you think that's part of the branding equation? Everything starts from your goal. So yeah. if somebody's goal is, you know, I know the community I want to serve. I want to serve them in a very specific way. Yeah. Then you may never need to pivot. Right. If you yeah. really are just killing it in that community and that's what you're about, um, then you've already won. So it is um, part of what makes part of what would make anybody able to predict my moves is to understand I'm not kidding when I say that I'm obsessed with scale. So I want, I, I, there are a lot of people that, you know, they have a hundred thousand subscribers. They're over the moon. They can't fucking believe it. And they'll spend the rest yeah. of their life serving that community. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. If that's what somebody wants, it's fucking beautiful. If you have 10 people in your community and you serve them well and you make their lives better, I get yes. it. And yeah. I mean, we've heard the adage a thousand times, a hundred thousand times, you know, as long as I help one person, then it'll be worth it. Yes. You will never hear me say that. That is not true. Yeah. If I look back on my life and I say, I only help one person, I will be fucking mortified because I was trying for something different. Now, it just so happens that I only value myself for the sincere pursuit. So whether or not I achieve it or not is, is irrelevant to me. As long as I actually was playing in a way that 
was the most efficient path towards that. And I was constantly iterating and figuring out how to get smarter and smarter about it. Um, so I'm, I won't judge myself at the end of my life by whether or not I succeeded. I'll judge myself. Did I leave it all out on the field? Was I sincerely going yeah. for this or was this just rhetoric? So for me to hit a million and go, okay, where our growth rate is slowing down, that my own team, who knows how I think, my own team was like, Tom, you have to understand law of large numbers. As the number gets bigger yeah. to, to yeah. maintain the percentage growth is going to be impossible. Just look at the raw numbers. And I'm like, that's not the game I'm playing. My game is a game of scale. I want to keep this percentage going. And so asking myself the question, like, how do I change enough to attract a bigger audience? And, and so to, to keep this specifically tied to branding, that's the bridge people are going to have to cross. Are you a niche player um, long-term or just short-term? Because everybody needs to be niche in the beginning. Yeah. So when you start your brand, be hyper niche, speak to somebody incredibly clearly, it keeps your marketing costs down. So that's just like, all, everything comes back to goal and the physics of the shit that stand between you and your goal. Physics, yeah. meaning it yes. is not an opinion. This is the nature of how the world works. And so until you identify the nature of how the world works, you're going to be in trouble. So one of the ways that marketing works, the physics of marketing, is that if your audience is broadly distributed, it will be very expensive to reach them. If your audience is niche and you can identify them, they're going to be less competitors you know, vying for their attention, yes. which means it will cost less to get their attention. Physics, baby. So yeah. it's you start niche so that you can build a powerful base and then you move from strength to strength to strength. So I'm, you know, I went from a million to 1.6 million, but I didn't try to jump to 1.6 million. I was like, I'm going to be the most niche motherfucker ever about mindset. And I'm going to take a very specific approach to that. And I'm going to build a base and it worked phenomenally and built a, a multi seven figure business around just that concept. All I'm saying is now for me, staying in that niche alone is not fulfilling. And since the only thing I really care about is fulfillment, I'm pivoting. And my thing is, I'm in a very fortunate position in that I have worked my ass off and had tremendous success. And the, no question there was luck tied up in that as well. I'm not a person who's like, there's no such thing as luck. I'm just fucking amazing. It isn't that, but you really do have to get good enough to pull it off and like get some luck, get some breaks. So anyway, I don't have to worry about money ever again. So my thing is, I know the only thing that really matters is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. And yep. money does not influence that. I got some really bad news for anybody who thinks that getting rich is gonna make them right. love themselves. Sadly, it will not. So it's super powerful and it lets you do rad things. But like, I know that what I need to do is, is pour my heart and soul into something that matters to me in ways that matter to me, if that makes sense. And I, you know, I can tell you what those are for me, but it will be irrelevant to the next person. So it's just knowing what you give a shit about and then going yeah. hard on that, even yeah. if it means you have to reinvent or, um, but from a branding perspective, I wouldn't say strike out and reinvent. I would say make incremental changes to widen your audience and just deliver a crushing amount of value with every step that you take. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work in the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. You know what's cool too? Just thinking about the whole uh, niche thing. So you know, for so many people that are that are listening to this, 
you know, they, they've heard like we play around, you know, niche to reach, right? Like you want to get rich, like you need to serve a community. You need to serve a type of prospect. You need to serve as long as the, the TAM, the total addressable market is big enough to match your ambitions and your goals, right? You do that. And what happens is when you do it and you do it and you do it, you become the expert of it. You know, every problem, you know, every objection, you know, every condition, you know how to solve it. And then what happens is your business explodes and then everybody outside of the niche sees your success and wants it. Like most people in business and you, you know, you've seen it, I've seen it. They come out with this sort of generalist approach. I'm going to solve all of these things. And I'm like, you're not going to work. I mean, I don't know if you invest in companies. I'm investing like 60 different businesses. And when they walk in and say, this is our market and we're gonna be the best at it. I'm like, can we scale beyond that? Can you scale beyond that? If you can, I'm interested. But if you're like, I'm going to serve everybody right out of the gate. I'm like, not going to work. Too expensive, right? To your point, too expensive. Switch gears with me. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at all the, like I'm, I'm jotting down sort of just things as you're saying because it's just a way for me to just trigger my head. Um, we're talking about marketing a minute ago, right? We're talking about niche, right? Every person listening right now needs to market themselves in a more effective way. They need to get more top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. You understand this, whether it was selling nutrition bars, right? Or uh, selling a training program or you haven't done a book yet, right? You haven't done a book yet, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but getting, you know, selling, selling your services, your solution. So what would you say are like the three or four or five most important marketing decisions or tactics you've taken that have really helped you expand your brand? So it, it's really being um, clear on who am I trying to serve? Yep. It's being really clear on where are they? It's mm -hmm. being really clear on what message is going to resonate with them. Yep. Um, and, and then, um, so th those are sort of the, the top line things about identifying your market, make sure that you're speaking yeah. to them in, in a way that you want, make sure that your product is rad, make sure that your product is deeply desired. And so mm -hmm. it is merely a case of making people aware of the fact that it exists. If you have to convince them to use it, that is very much not ideal. I'm always telling people, don't try to change behavior, try to leverage it. So find something that, that is a hole in the market where people would be just tripping over themselves if you were to solve that problem. Um, the easiest example from my own life is Quest. There were 1,600 protein bars on the market when we launched, and there wasn't a single one that tasted like it had sugar but didn't. And so we were like, well, if we can solve that problem, which ultimately, oddly enough, ended up being a manufacturing challenge. Um, once we solved the manufacturing challenge, then we had our zero to one moment and we grew by 57,000% in our first three years alone. I mean, it's just crazy. But that's because we, we knew who we were trying to serve. We knew that there was a gap, that there was something that nobody was doing so that we could have the zero to one moment. So to us, it wasn't going into a crowded marketplace. It was realizing that all those guys were competing for something that very few people actually cared about, which was a protein infused candy bar. And we didn't want to be a protein infused candy bar. We wanted to be a legitimate protein bar, but tasted like a candy bar. So it was, it was a sort of a fundamental inversion of the way that people had gone about the problem. And then it was, you know, identifying that community, bringing them together, um, and speaking in a way they'd never been spoken to. So we didn't do what, what we lovingly referred to as chains and veins marketing, which is what everybody else did when speaking to bodybuilders, because we knew that was our niche market that we wanted to serve, because they were people that would understand why we had made the bar the way that we had made it. And that we knew we just needed to let them know that it existed and then get them to try to take a bite of it. And everybody else speaking to that crowd 
you know, it was representing people wearing literal yeah. chains with huge yeah. veins, working out, yeah. you know, struggle, sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. And we did food porn. And this was before like food porn was popular. It, it was actually crazy to watch the industry change as we came in and, and just took over and dominated. And then everybody started copying the food porn aesthetic. But it was, who's my market? What's the hole that I'm serving? What's the product that I'm using to serve it? Am I building that community and speaking to them in a way that's going to resonate? And if you can do that, then woo, baby, you, right. you really got a shot. Yeah. I think all the listeners right now, especially, uh, you know, people in real estate, you know, we, that, that formula we have discussed and right. And Peter Drucker, I think was really the first one that I saw that, that really said like, who is your customer? What are their problems? How do you solve it in a unique way? Right. And, and just saying, you know, I'm likable and I provide a service and I can show you a house. There's nothing about that. That's unique. Right. With COVID Corona, there was a lot of instant uniqueness to those that adapted to a safety first selling plan, video first, Zoom, you know, virtual everything. And those men and women dominated, right, in a time when many people were struggling. So like, I think my, my listeners get that and I love that point of view. Two, two different thoughts. One of the things I see with you is you got a lot of ambition and you got a lot of shit going on, right? So, so one, one could sit back and say, how does Tom manage so many ambitions, so many dreams. I'm looking behind you. I see the Steve Oyoki, right? I have that in my home office, right? Like, like that, by the way, by the way, I didn't open it. I kept it sealed. And I'm like, cause this is going to be worth a lot more, you know, like in the future, right? Like I literally had that thought when, when I got that, how do you manage to, to keep everything in check and to keep all of your ambitions and your projects and your people moving forward powerfully? Like, give me some tactical how to, how do you do it? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked and let's get really tactical because it drives me fucking crazy when people just waffle on and don't give yeah. you anything you can use. So here it is what I call the physics of progress. And this is basically um, recontextualizing the scientific method. So the reason that um, again, and I, I know I mentioned this earlier, but this, this point bears driving home. So whatever you want in life, like you don't even have to tell me um, what it is. I can already tell you how to achieve it. I have to go to a 30,000 foot view, but it's going to be um, yeah. very usable. And so mm -hmm. that 30,000 foot view that I slide to has to do with the nature of the way that humans work, um, the nature of the way that um, assessing problem solution works. So the physics of progress go like this. What is your goal? Okay. First and foremost. Yep. So you, you have a desired end state. Now that the, where most people fall on the goal is they don't get specific. So you need a hyper specific goal. And, and after I give you all of them, you, if you want to dip back into anything and say, well, what do you mean by specific? Yeah. We can go through it. You I need a hyper yeah. specific goal. The next thing is you need to identify what is the problem, mm -hmm. the impediment that stands between where I am today and where I want to be, right? So I gave an earlier example of Quest. The impediment ended up being manufacturing, which we didn't actually know at the time. So identify the impediment. And then the next thing is, what is your informed hypothesis on what action you could take that would allow you to overcome that impediment? And if that, and that, uh, that action that's baked into your hypothesis must be binary, it must be yes or no. It can't be, yeah. can't use words like improve. No. It has to be things like send a hundred emails a day. How okay? much of what yeah. and by when? Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Perfectly said. So, and then you need to identify before you begin, you need to identify what metric would indicate that we are moving towards our goal. 
So you know going into this what metric you're trying to impact so that you can evaluate whether what I call a lever action, the lever you're going to pull, that binary thing, the sending of the emails, the whatever. Yep. Do you actually think that's the most efficient way to affect that metric, yes or no? If it is, then this is a test you're going to run. So that's the idea behind a hypothesis. It is not something you know to be true. It is something you suspect might be true. And now you're going to actually run that test and see if you were right. And then you are going to analyze the data. Now, remember, before you started, you said, this is the fucking metric. If this metric doesn't move, then this was not a success. If the metric does move, then it was a success. Now, of course, I'm open. If something that I never expected to be positively impacted was, I will look at that. But I'm only looking at data. I am specifically trying to remove two things. In business, there are so many things coming at you. And this was sort of what prompted your question. I have so many things going on in my life. How do I keep it all straight? Well, the problem was for years, I didn't. I was always steering by a vague sense of what I should be doing at any moment. And because I'm excitable, somebody would present me an idea. I'd be like, oh, that's amazing. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it right now. And I would swing the battleship. People were always like, oh, you can't move a battleship on a dime. You fucking can when I'm steering. The yep. problem is you don't want to. And right. so I was fucking swinging the battleship all over the place and we were never getting anywhere because I would get excited, but I hadn't identified what the metric was. I haven't even identified if we should be turning the battleship to the right, to the left, staying straight, whatever. So it was, okay, how do I overcome the sense of the, the vagueness of I know what should be done, which has no sense of priority to it. So yeah. get really concrete. And then the other problem I was trying to overcome is how do I know if I won? So making sure that I'm looking at concrete data that 99 times out of 100, you accurately identified what variable needed to be impacted right. even before you began. And then you could just see whether or not you did. So too often people do what feels good, what feels right, what seems just with, with total disregard for, did it actually move me towards my goal? And then having the, the bravery to actually look at the data and go, oh man, this felt good. I love doing it. It was so amazing, but it actually didn't move me towards my goal. I will give you an example. That um, graphic novel behind me, you uh, were kind to bring up and to talk about you know, putting it in a case and it's gonna have value. I, I will tell you right now, when I look at that, it hurts my soul. It will never have value in the future. And the only thing that matters is actually getting people to read that fucking thing. And yeah. so that was a, a just astronomic failure that had everything to do with, I grew up with printed comics. And mm -hmm. so when I started telling these stories, it seemed a natural place to go to the printed comic. When the printed comic, because remember I'm obsessed with scale, was yeah. out per outperforming people's expectations and selling less than 5,000 units a month, I was like, wait a fucking second. That's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. So I started researching who's doing it right. Who's moving massive units. That led me to Japan, which ultimately led me to Korea. The Koreans are doing it right with something called Webtoon. Webtoon, the scale difference between Webtoon and what's happening in printed comics, it's a hundred to one. I mean, it is absurd. Wow. So we have shifted everything over to webtoon on a dime because i had the data i knew what my goal right. was get people to read this fucking thing and then i had data how many units am i selling Five thousand. that's not very interesting and that's no. considered a win that was the scary part it wasn't like people were going oh but tom come on like you've got a shot like you could be doing five hundred thousand units people were like dude you should be happy i was like get the fuck out of here so then it was who's doing it right identifying where the metrics were going on in in 24 hours in 24 hours of posting that story on Webtoon, we had five 
times the number of views that we had um, in the first month of selling it. And now we've, we've blown past. In, in a week, we had 30 times. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So just the scale difference is different, scale. but you have to look at the data. So uh, first of all, define, define Webtoon for, the purpose, for everybody that's listening that has no idea what you're talking about. It is a comic book that is on, you read on your iPhone or your phone, whatever your phone yeah. may be. And it is designed for vertical scroll. Yeah. And that's it. It's, it's everything else is, I mean, the, now you get into East and West type storytelling and web yeah. tends to gravitate yeah, yeah. towards Eastern style storytelling, but everybody would recognize that there's everything from superhero to romance. And oddly enough, uh, mm -hmm. Webtoon tends to draw a more female audience um, in the U.S. Anyway, it's it's much more um, broadly spread in uh, Korea and Japan where, you know, this kind of storytelling really started a lot longer ago than we did. Um, but it, it, it is people would recognize it as a comic book in yeah. vertical scroll format. Yeah. So in a non-comic book way, would you think of that like maybe as Instagram stories or Facebook stories? No, no. YouTube people would be very much led astray if that's what they have in their mind. Okay. You have to think about a comic book, but instead of being a page with five panels on it, yeah. it's one panel and then you scroll and you see the next panel. And sometimes you could make one panel, you know, scroll and scroll and scroll and it's the same panel and it morphs and changes as it goes. Um, so it's people are really learning to make that yeah. the advantage to make it actually beautiful on a phone. Whereas yeah. any traditional comic book looks like trash on a phone because yeah. it was meant to be read on a page. It was meant yeah. to be the juxtaposition yeah. of multiple images on one page. And so it's, it's really redefining the format and then making sure you tell the story in a way that's highly cliffhanger driven. Everything yes. is around these weekly episodes. Yeah. It's all vertical scroll. Um, it's a much younger audience. So there's a lot of things you want to take into consideration. Um, so yeah. it was really edifying to translate something that was originally created in book format and then put it into something that felt natively vertical scroll and yeah. seeing the changes that we had to make to make it feel right was really edifying. I'm just looking at two of my creatives. We're going to play around with that. All right. Brenda, Brenda just said, I read that. She's like, I've read that stuff. So, okay. I asked you, how do you manage multiple projects, people, ambitions? And, and you gave us what I would refer to as like almost like a good to great uh, or a four disciplines of execution methodology, highly specific goal, identifying the problem that stands in your way, right? Informed hypothesis on the actions or the plans that you believe are going to work. What metrics, you know, what are you going to measure, right? What's the data, right? Study the data and know how you won. Now, how do you take that and do what I would guess I have? I have 15 major crazy things going on all at once. I would imagine you have, you know, the same or more or different, or, you know, but a lot more than the person that's like saying, I run my business, but I say, no, you don't run your business. You also have sales, marketing, hiring, firing, training, your personal life, your personal goals, your family goals, your financial goals, your, what, you know, everything else. And that's where people get stuck, right? They become so myopic, right? Which sometimes is a good thing. If you say, I'm just going to assess on this one thing and I don't care what happens to my relationship, my health, I'm just going to go make money as an example but I want a whole life, right? And I see you in that whole life experience. So how do I take that and then do it five, six, eight, ten 10 ways on different, not ways, different projects? Right. So the thing that I do that is critical to this is I keep a list called the important things list and I put things in order and I find that people have a very hard time rank ordering things. And yeah. this is one of those things. It, I think it's as dangerous to the human mind to be soft as it is to 
not force yourself to rank order your priorities in life. And people squirm out of that. The number of times I've told people like, hey, tell me your mission in life in a single sentence. Give me your priorities in order, the top three in order. People are paralyzed. And I think it's some of it is self-discovery. Like you realize something that maybe you don't think should be your number one actually is your number one. And you were hiding it by saying, these are the five things I really care about. And, you know, like it was hiding the fact that what you maybe even list last. So people won't think ill of you is actually number one. Like it used to be in my twenties that money was my number one period point blank. I would have told you I'm here to get rich. That's it. And money is still in my top five, but now it's in fifth place where it used to be in first place. So that that's like, realizing where they rank order is critical because everything is competing for time. So my wife and I um, having quality time competes with time in the business, right? Um, Time with an employee is time I'm not strategizing. So, and time running one experiment is time I'm not running another experiment. And so once you accept that's, that is the nature of things. That's the physics of the beast that um, a time is linear that you can't do a lot of things at the same time. Um, you really do have to, you can allocate things to other people, but at the end of the day, you do things sequentially. And so being able to think in sequential order, keeping a list, having it written down, written down, that's a huge thing I do. Um, And then the, so just to encapsulate that, and then I'll get onto what may be even more important. I write things down and I'm not afraid of rank ordering things. That that is critical. And the third thing on that, I'm actually good at rank ordering things. Does rank order give you then a time equation? Your goal must have a, a time element to it. That's yeah. part of that specificity. Yeah. Um, so inherent in the goal, the, the time equation comes only when I decide I'm actually pulling the trigger on running an experiment. Yeah. Um, and so the goal then will be assigned a, a due date because the how quickly you want to do it is going to inform what levers you have to pull in order to actually achieve that goal. So um, no, in the beginning, I'm not usually thinking in terms of um, the date I want it done by. I start just by thinking what should be done first. Yeah. And then, then I put it into the physics of progress formula within the company. We only speak in terms of the physics of progress. So everybody, there's literally a document that says, here are all the tests that we're going to run um, by department. They're rank ordered. So um, that's how I think about that. Now, the, the other side of how I get all this stuff done is I am I am possibly too obsessed with efficiency. I will say that 90% of the arguments that I get into with my wife are because she can see I'm getting frustrated that she's not being efficient. And um, that's fine in the business. That's really bad in your marriage. But I have so trained myself that, yes. that yeah. really, really at a deep part of my soul, um, I, am, I have a radar, a, a blaring like tornado warning yeah. siren going off in my head when um, I'm dealing with something in an inefficient manner. Yeah. Um, and so that can spill over to my personal life, which is not ideal. And, but, but being efficient with my time, I don't have kids. That's another huge thing. So think about all the time people spend with their kids. I have none of that. So I spend it on my wife for my business. Um, and then the other thing is I get up extraordinarily early and I make no, almost no differentiation between my personal life and my business life. So my wife is my business partner. Um, if I, when I wake up, so I, I normally wake up anywhere from the other night I was up at two 30. That's, that's atypical though. I'm usually yeah. up 
almost 4 a.m. on the dot every day. And from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., I'm learning the language of story. So I'm typically right now watching anime. Um, and then starting at 6 a.m., I'm working on the business. And I've already clocked two hours of something that's critically important for my business. So you can imagine if your day starts at 4 a.m. and doesn't end until 8 or 9, um, you've, you've really gotten a lot done. And that's day after day after day after day. Right. So I try to make all the, all the things I'm trying to do in my business, I try to make them things that I care so much about just as a person that I'm going to be doing that whether I get paid for it or not. I love it. I love it. There's a lot to unpack there, but I think uh, just, I think, I think people are going to go like this, rewind, start over, rewind, start over. Um, Let's talk about uh, starting. Um, A lot of people, like we were talking earlier uh, before we started this about the, the war of art and, and, there's so many things that are written on this, this subject matter of how do you move through your fears? How do you move through the resistance? How do you move through the things that are stopping you? Like the entrepreneurial dream, right? Tristan over here sends me a, a text message a couple of days ago and he's like, dude, I did it, right? I launched like, you know, all my photos that I'm now gonna sell on a website. And of course, what I, what I say is, dude, congratulations. And then, you know, he knows that I'm like, well, it's about time. Like you've been talking about it forever, right? Like, so, you know, good, right? Right, and he's over there smiling. Tristan, me, you, everyone listening has something that they want to do. They want to get healthier. They want to uh, be more in love or, or repair a relationship. They want to start saving money. They want to make a phone call, shoot a video, and they fucking don't, right? They have this list of ambitions and dreams. And I'm, listen, for you listening right now, you know I care enough about you to tell you that. Right. If I didn't care, I wouldn't say it. You have something in your life you want to do and you're not doing it and you're putting it off on someday aisle and that aisle does not exist. You either do it or you don't in my world. Tom, help help someone right now. How do they start? How do they work through the fear? Yeah, that I mean, here's the thing. I wouldn't even say to work through the fear. What I would just do is acknowledge the truth of the human condition, right? So everything comes back to physics for me. Yeah. What is the truth of the human condition? We covered this earlier. Humans don't come pre-programmed. They have to learn. So you have to learn. So, and I think most people will embrace that at a conceptual level. Here's yeah. where they start to fall off. Some intuitive part of them knows every time they've started off in something where they needed to learn, that was code for you suck. And they went yeah. through the process and they sucked and it was embarrassing. People really did make fun of them. There really were people that were better than them, but that only got exposed when they tried. And so there really is a, a gigantic penalty for trying emotionally. De- yeah. It can be devastating. And anyone who tells you that that isn't real is lying. And if they try to get you to believe that it's not real, it won't jive with what you know to be true in your own life. And so you're never going to accept their worldview. So here's the worldview that I try to get people to embrace. All of that's true. There's a huge penalty for trying. It's just, in my opinion, with, with the goals that I have, there is a penalty that is so much bigger to not trying, it dwarfs it, right? So I would never want to be the person who was like, oh man, I wish I had tried this thing. So because I put such a huge premium on, um, when I look back on my life, I want to say that I sincerely pursued it. Okay, cool. So if I want to look back on my life and say I sincerely pursued it, then I need to understand what pursuit means. This is what pursuit means. This is the physics of pursuit. This is a learning process. You're going to be bad at, you are going to be bad at it in the beginning. Okay. So if you can embrace that, that that's part of the learning process. The, the whole idea of growth is starting from an inferior place and getting yeah. to a place of greater strength. 
as defined by your ability to get closer to your goal, not self-worth, none of that. Yep. Just yep. you're getting closer to your goal. So in the beginning, you're going to suck. But the only way to get better is to fail. Why failing? Because failing is painful and it triggers the regions of the brain to do with focus and memory. So we know that that's going to be an important part and that failure is the most information-rich data stream you will ever encounter. So you're going to just get information. Hold on, hold on, hold on. on. Say that again. Failure Failure is the most information-rich data stream you'll ever encounter. So yes, it comes with this pain. Hold on, hold on. What does that mean? I understand all (laughs) those words. What does that mean to you? Unpack that. Okay, so um, I mean, you can, you can take anything. You could take playing a video game, fighting, writing, building a business. All of it comes with, I can tell you about it as much as I want, but ultimately you have to have these unique insights. Yeah. And the only way, like take meditation, this will be a great one. Yeah. So you, I heard people say meditation is amazing over and over and over yeah. and over and over. And I was just like, none, none of the things they were saying was an insight that made me want to do it because the insight that I had was that meditation was soft. It was weak. And my life had been all about toughening up, getting harder, learning to go on the attack mode because I really was a weak kid. Nobody told me to man up. And so I had to learn how to do that. And I had reaped tremendous rewards from doing that. And so nobody should ever feel bad for me that I sort of self-flagellated myself and told myself to stop being weak, to toughen up. And that, that paid amazing dividends. And the funny thing is whenever somebody sees a photo of me and it'll be like me in the past and I'm like overweight and I'm slouching, but I'm smiling. And then a new photo, I'm lean, I'm shredded and I'm doing my tough guy face. They're always like, oh, but Tom, you look so sweet. I'm like, I can take the same fucking picture over here with the same smile. So yeah. let's not, you know, get derailed on that. So yeah. it's, understanding that once I sat down to meditate myself mm-hmm. and I took the first diaphragm breath and I felt the way that my parasympathetic nervous system kicked in and I realized in an instant, oh, this is a seesaw. I can't uh-huh. be anxious and calm at the same time. And yep. for whatever reason, breathing from my diaphragm triggers this calming effect in my body. I was like, whoa. So now all of a sudden I had the insight that I needed, but I, no matter how many people tried to tell me to do it, they couldn't give me the insight that I needed that I got instantly from doing it. So the doing it, your body is going to try to interpret. Your mind is going to try to interpret. So you try a CPC marketing campaign, whatever it is, and it fails. And you're like, damn it. Why did it fail? But now you have something you can look at. It's not theoretical anymore. It's literal. And you start digging through the data and you start asking yourself, what does this mean? Why did I have an amazing click-through rate, but it didn't convert? Oh, my ads are rad but my landing page is not, which maybe you only discover because you go and you type into Google, why the hell would you have a high click-through rate and a low conversion rate? And then you're going to see somebody goes, oh, that just means that you're, you're, you're not converting your, the sales material itself is bad. Yeah. So great ad, bad you know, sales copy. Oh, okay, well then you go on the journey of, well, now that I have that piece of information, what makes good sales copy? And so you type in what makes good sales copy? And so you're only going down that journey because you had enough real world tangible information yep. to start. And now it's like you, you start getting the pieces. You begin to know what questions to ask. I always tell people, when you want to learn a new topic, it starts with learning the terms. What are the things people talk about? What are the initials, the abbreviations? Like wrap your mind around that so you can start researching more intelligently. But by engaging, you really do access a tremendous amount of information that you can't access when it's all theoretical. 
my uh, my mentor, who man, I wish you would have met. Uh, his, his name was Mike Vance. He uh, was Walt Disney's right hand guy. He was Steve Jobs' early mentor. He was Jack Welch's early mentor. He was dear friends with Mother Teresa. He invented the salad bar. So if you've been to one, he would always I would be at the salad bar with him, and I would say thank you, right? Because that was like Walt Disney called him the most creative guy on the planet, right? Like that's a pretty strong, you know, that's a that's a pretty big mark on your uh, your resume. He would say to me all the time, you know six foot six with his giant hair and he'd say, Tom, you just can't have, uh, you can't learn from experiences you're not having. Like you have to go try shit. You have to go do it. You gotta go fail and then you learn what worked, what didn't. And he would always say it with like the biggest smile and it, in my 20s, it didn't make a lot of sense because I was too busy trying to figure out how to look good and how to do the right thing and how to make money and be successful. And, you know, then, then you go into leadership and you're like, wait a minute. Okay. I don't know anything. Right. Like I've really got to Like this whole thing is just an experiment. Like, and you're going to get punched in the face a lot. Say the original line one more time. Failure is the most information rich data stream you will ever encounter. God, that's awesome. That is awesome. All right. I know we got to be mindful of time. And I said it earlier in the podcast that we could have like, we could go for like 10 more hours. Cause you're just a, what I, what I love is like, when I'm doing podcasts, I'm like taking notes. I'm listening and absorbing. And then, then I find myself losing myself in the podcast because I'm just so into what the person is saying. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing in the middle of, of being the podcast interviewer, but that's how I roll. So thank you. Thank you for sharing so much with me today. I've got three or four pages of notes. The person that's in their car, first of all, please drive safely or get a Tesla very quickly. Um, I want you to listen to this one three or four times. I, and I know like someone is going to say to me, so just in advance, and you probably not, you're not listening at this point, but someone's going to say, oh, I got the F word. And yeah, no, no. Just listen, don't, don't get caught up in that. Right. right. Just like an let, accusation let frequently leveled at me. Yes. Yeah, you're you're I, in good company. Whoever is saying that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. It's not, it, you know, no one is trying to trigger you. Right. We're, we're trying to help. Right. So let that go. Uh, but for everybody else, Share this, make some comments, give us some feedback, follow Tom. Uh, you know, do you have an at impact theory also on Instagram? I kind of follow you and then I kind of see it all. Yeah. The best place is to follow me directly. Um, yeah. the impact theory is, is an echo of the things that I do, yes. but at yes. Tom Bilyeu is, is me directly. Yes. And I would say still buy the, uh, buy it. I'm, I'm, I, I can't watch it on Webtoon. Watch it. Yeah. Watch it on Webtoon. It's free. It's free. Go to Webtoon and watch it. That is much more advantageous. But yeah, if you, you download the free Webtoon app, yes. uh, you can read the free comic book, uh, which yes. is called Neon Future. Yes, 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 yes. And, uh, and so now tonight I'm going to go home and I'm going to open up and my, my younger son is a huge anime fan. And you can see how, I mean, I've been to anime con we've done, you know, we've done all that stuff in LA, right. For forever. And now he doesn't invite me. Now he goes with his buddies and you know, like I totally get it. Cause it's the hero's journey over and over and over and over. And it's interesting when you're saying, I actually get up at four o'clock in the morning and study that. I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, if you want to become a good storyteller, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so man, I wish this wasn't ending, but I do got to end. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, uh, I got a lot of love and appreciation and gratitude for you. Uh, give lots of love to Lisa. And uh, man, they're all going to follow you like crazy. This is going to be listened to a lot. Any closing thoughts before we turn this thing off? Thanks for having me, man. And uh, you can do anything you set your mind to without limitation, even though I know that's a lie. It's an empowering lie that will help you. So yes. I hope that everyone out there adopts that belief and, and goes after what they want. 1,000%. Thanks, brother, man. All the best. I'll talk to you soon. Same, man. Thanks. Take care. 
If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.